Let's pray. Am I on? I'm on up here. No, I'm not. Am I on now? So apparently I was on the whole time I was sitting there, just so you know. Okay. Then let's hope the batteries don't run out in the middle of this. No. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and praise you. We thank you, Lord, and love you so much. I pray, Lord, for your presence as it already has been here through worship. I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak through me whatever you will. Not my own will, but yours. That is the desire of my heart. I freely give my mouth to you. Lord, I pray that you prepare and have prepared hearts that would hear. Help them to open their ears and hear. Eyes to see, help them to see. Those whom eyes have been closed by you, Father, I ask for your mercy. That you will give them a pathway (coughs) to knowing you, a pathway to seeing your truth. Your will be done, Father. Speak through me this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I loved that last song with just one look. Everything changes. If you really think about the words to that song and think about in your own life what that means, with just one look, is that a look where he looks upon us and with his gaze then our life has changed? No, because his gaze doesn't change our perspective. He will never take away our free will. He will never take away our choice. It's our look on him. Our look specifically at his heart. Recognizing his heart for us. Recognizing who we are in Jesus Christ. Who we are that we were created to be. With just one look, just one gaze at his heart, everything changes. See, that's, that's why it's not about being a Christian. It's not about somebody who has accepted Lord Jesus Christ and all of a sudden, for them, everything changes. It can be that. But not necessarily because... It's about that relationship with Him. It's about what comes next. If your goal is just to escape hellfire, if your goal is to just go to heaven instead of hell, I'm here to tell you that's so easy. And and you all know this. It's so easy because His grace is sufficient. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we are sealed. by the power of the Holy Spirit, as a guarantee of our inheritance until we receive it. 
And that inheritance, it says in Ephesians 1, is eternal life. But see, God wants so much more for you than that. He wants so much more for all of us than that. He wants that interaction between us. So that's where so much more is offered outside of the law. If you look at God through his precepts, if you look at God and your Christianity is all about the doctrine that you adhere to, because, well, I go to ABC Church and they believe this and, and that's who I am and that's how I identify myself. If you do that, you're missing what he has for you. Because, see, we can't have that one look <coughs> through the law. We can't have it through his precepts. We can't have it through his doctrines. All of those things are hints as to his character, as to who he is. But if you really want to know who he, who he is, you have to pursue him. Not pursue what he is about, but pursue him. To literally, between you and him, repair what was taken away in the Garden of Eden. That closeness, that relationship between God and man. So see, that look goes well beyond the law. The law came, did not come to save anybody. It came to point out sin. And by the way, it did a very effective job. Because that's what the law does. The law was not abolished. The law was bridged. It was fulfilled, but it was bridged by Jesus Christ, who then bridged that gap be between the Father and us that was dismantled when Adam gave over his rights. So that just one look that changes everything, please understand it's a process. It's not a quick fix. It's not an overnight sensation. In fact, it is a series of overnight sensations. I'm not saying that you don't have these amazing moments in growth. You do. In fact, you have them often and all the time as you're pursuing him. He opens up our minds as to who he is from that just one look. But it is the pursuit that you make in your relationship with him that changes everything. Simply because we let him. You know, this morning, I, I, I want to go to Ephesians. This morning was one of those mornings that I didn't know what he would want. He gave me really very little except this idea that is heavy on my spirit. I know it is heavy on his heart that time is very short. We've known that here at Ignition. And what I mean by that is 
this line in the sand, this choice, this choice to trust him or not. Not just in salvation. I mean, that's such a minimal requirement. Such a minimal requirement in being a child of God. It's not just about being saved, as I said earlier. And what has been so heavy on my heart is is what is coming, and we've talked about this, this, this forcing of a choice, specifically for his bride, this forcing of a choice of choosing relationship with him, of choosing to be hot and not lukewarm. I fear for those who claim closeness with him, but only think they have it because of control. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. That's a lie. If you think you control your relationship with him, you are sadly mistaken. If you control your relationship with him because you believe in a set of doctrines that your church happens to put on the internet and that's kind of who you are, you're deceived. That's going to dismantle every bit of that. We've said that here before. All of the divisions in the church will be separated, divided, and broken off. They will be dismantled. Because what he wants is the purity of his bride to be in relationship with him. And I know we've heard that here, but but let that sink into your heart what that means. Because one thing I don't think, and I am speaking to Ignition here, one thing I don't think is I don't think that the majority of Ignition understands what that field is going to look like. What the next three years are going to look like. It is nothing to be afraid of, but it is something to be in awe over. Because, see, in my lifetime, we have never seen, and I'm older than most in here. I wish I could say all, but not quite, right? (laughs) But in my lifetime, we have not seen the encompassing justice of the Father. Not in my lifetime. We've seen pieces of it. You see pieces, certainly in people's lives. I've seen it in my own life. Most of you have seen it in your lives. But his overall encompassing justice, drawing his bride closer to him, we have never seen in my lifetime. But you're about to. And what's extraordinary to me is this concept of time, because it feels like uh, he's been telling us this for a long time. It feels like it's taking forever, right? Because we're stuck in this dimension of time. We're stuck in this thought process of, of watching the minutes go by, waiting for something to happen. I'll tell you what he impressed on my heart many times, but reminded me this morning, is this idea of time that he is outside of. One day very soon, we will look back and we will just be in awe 
and think, how in the world did you do that so fast? How in the world did you change the world? In a matter of moments. In what seems like the blink of an eye. But that's what it's going to seem like. Because when he begins, unless you're ready, you won't be able to keep up. Because things will begin happening so fast. Now is the time for relationship to be settled, to be locked in, to be pressed into. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm just going to start reading. I, I know a couple of things that the Lord has laid on my heart this morning. And I believe we're going to find them here. But I also believe we're going to spend some time in this book. Not sure fully what that means. But I have a feeling we're going to go through the whole book over the course of time. Let's just begin. <coughs> Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our, Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. By the way, I want to encourage you, because obviously we don't have time here on Sunday mornings to do this. I want to encourage you to go back through the entire book of Ephesians. Just start ripping it apart, sentence by sentence. We might do a little bit of that. We might, uh, we'll see where the Lord leads, but, but every sentence has power packed in it. I mean, let me just read this first one again. Blessed be the God of our Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just that alone we could spend hours on. Because it's not every spiritual blessing that we have and that we can see and that are manifest in front of us. It's every spiritual blessing in heaven. In heavenly places. So a logical mind would tell you that we have access to so much more than we access. Does that make sense? We have accessible to us so much more than we realize. Verse 4, Even as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to his, to the purpose of his will. Now, let me just make a comment here, because I know a lot of people get really sidetracked, really messed up with this word, predestined. And there's, there's sects of people out there that believe this predestination, where God picked and chose throughout the world, before he even created it, 
This is the A line, this is the B line. All the B line goes to hell, all the A line goes to heaven. I am predestining it, I am choosing it ahead of time. They believe that's what that says. And by the way, that word, that's what it could mean. Because to predestine something, one of the meanings of that is pre-choice. To choose ahead of time. But that's not the only meaning. And see, what you have to do there is then you have to begin to compare to the Word of God and see how that fits in the rest of the Word and fits into His character. And you have a huge problem if you believe that God pre-chooses life and death for people. And that problem is free will. That problem is choice. That He gives us a choice. He will never take away our choice, by the way. There's only one thing that takes away our choice, and that's death. We have opportunity for choice every moment of our breathing lives. He doesn't take that away. Maybe there will be points of influence, but He never chooses for us. Does that make sense? I want to offer a different view of this that I, I believe to be absolutely correct. And that is the predestination is a pre-knowing of what is to come. Now you can't understand this unless you understand the fact that God is outside of time. Right? And, and that, that's so hard for us to understand. That, that's kind of like, that's kind of like being a, a fish inside of a fishbowl trying to explain what's outside of the fishbowl. It's kind of hard. You know, we can only do this through faith. We can only understand that, that, that this is different where he is than where we are by faith. The beautiful thing is that it's also been proven. It's been proven scientifically that, that time is finite. Time is a, a dimension of itself. In other words, my time is not the same as God's time. Do you see what I'm saying? So he is not bound by our time here on earth. If you can picture it almost like like this globe, the earth, and wrapped around it, or the universe, whatever you want to say, wrapped around it is time. God is looking in. God can look it in at any point in time because he created time. Time is a physical dimension, a physical property, just like height, width, length. It's the same for God as any of those. He can look in at time a thousand years ago versus time a thousand years from now, and to him it is no different. That's why I love in the movie The Shack where, where he talks about Jesus and talks about paying that price with his son, and he pays it every day. He pays it constantly. Do you understand? Giving of his son on the cross is as real to him today as it was 2,000 years ago. 
Because God is not bound in that time. Right? God feels that like it is fresh each time. Because He is outside of time. Being outside of time and being the very creator of time, He can see what choice we will make. (coughs) Without influencing, by the way. Now, we are not God. I am not God. But I can look at one of my daughters when she was a little girl. And I can place something before her. Actually, this wouldn't work so well with my kids. I was going to say, put a cookie and put a piece of broccoli. Problem is, my wife's taught our kids so well, they would probably take the broccoli. Okay, so let me say a normal kid. How's that? You take a normal kid and you, you, you put a, a piece of broccoli on one side and you put a nice looking, yummy looking cookie on the other side. You're going to know what that child is going to take, probably. Now that's a fraction of what God can do. See, God knows, we know because, okay, we just know what they're going to want. We know what they're going to like. But see, God actually sees them taking it before they take it. He sees what we choose before we choose. And what's awesome to me is knowing that ahead of time, He still doesn't take away our choice. Imagine that. Imagine that. That's extraordinary. Knowing that somebody will choose to hate him. I, I don't know. I mean, thankfully I'm not God. Because if I were God, I would look at all the ones that were going to hate me and I wouldn't create them. I'd say, we don't need them. We'll, ju- we'll just not create them. So, you know, just, just like... Uh, uh, my mind went blank. The, the guy who uh, gave up Jesus. <laughs> Judas, thank you. Just like it said to him, it would have been better if you had never been born. What a statement. It would have been better if you had not been born. See, God knew that Judas was going to do that. He could have, in that, taken away his choice. But if he would have taken away his choice then he would have defied the very reason he created us in the first place, which is love. He loved us so much that instead of taking away our choice, he gave us something to choose. Through his son, Jesus Christ. So don't get hung up on this foreknowledge or predestination idea that We don't have choice. We do. The Bible's chock full of the fact that we have choice. Because it's the choice that brings on the consequences. So it is not a predestination of no matter what you do, you're going to where God has already determined you're going to go. What a fatalistic, fatalistic thought. And that is so against God's character. Because God's character is love, and love requires choice. Requires pure choice. 
the only way I can show my love for him is to choose him. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved and blessed us through Christ Jesus is who the beloved is referring to there. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. God puts a disclaimer in there. There is a purchase point that we have redemption. It's through his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of our sin, of our trespasses. This blood was shed to forgive our sin. According to the riches of His grace, not our grace, thank the Lord, of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And then verse 9, one of my favorite verses. Making, 9 and 10, making known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to what? To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. And I, I want to go back to this, but let me, let me just finish down to verse 14, because I mentioned it earlier. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then verse 13 and 14 is what I mentioned earlier. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In other words, when you heard Jesus Christ being the Son of God came as a man. Literally inserted himself into his own creation. Became a man. Lived a perfect sinless life. Gave that life on the cross. Died on the cross. By his choice, by the way. By his choice, the Bible says. He, it wasn't forced by God. It was by his choice that he gave himself. Died and three days later rose from the grave. Defeating death. Opening up relationship to the Father through him. And then was raised to sit at the right hand of the Father. As the Father prepares his bride. Pretty awesome, right? That's what it's talking about when it says you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you have heard that and believed that, believed what he has said, you were sealed. And this is important. If you can memorize no other verses, memorize these verses as a saved person. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that was sent after Jesus Christ ascended Back up to the Father's throne. You were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. That word there in the Greek is kind of like when, when a king would put his signet stamp on a law. It cannot be changed. It cannot be revoked. Only, only that king could revoke it, and in 
most cases, even the king cannot revoke it. So the Holy Spirit is sealing your spirit, sealing your destination, if you will, himself. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What is our inheritance? Eternal life. That's the promise. That's the inheritance. Or let me say, that's level one of the inheritance. Because there's so much more. And, and how sad the church thinks that that's it. That we get to live and not die. It, almost like we get, to, we get to go to heaven and float on some clouds somewhere because God saved us and that's our inheritance. I don't know about you, but growing up, that's what I used to think. I didn't know any different. Growing up and even into an adult, thinking of heaven and what in the world am I going to do in heaven? Have you ever thought of that? I mean, I know things are different now here with, with Ignition, but, but think about it before that. I remember I got saved at nine years old, and, and my motivation for being saved was not because I recognized what I was going to do in heaven. I'll be honest. My motivation was I didn't want to go to hell. It was on a Sunday morning, and the, the pastor preached on hell, and, and I had heard it before, but something happened that morning where I decided I do not want to go there. That is not for me. So, Mom, what do I need to do? My mom and I sat on, on my bed that night, and, or it might have been that afternoon, I can't remember, and she showed me how to accept Jesus into my heart. From that moment, I was sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit until I received that inheritance. But guess what? Guess what? My inheritance now is so much more than it was when I was nine years old. In fact, so much more than, I would, than it was when I was 50 years old just six years ago. Why? Because my inheritance is also what comes from the re- relationship that I have with him. That's part of my inheritance. That's part of what, what he takes and he protects. And when I say he, I mean the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he was sent. He was sent as our guarantee to protect so we can interact, so we have power that we do not have power here on earth with. Why? Because we have an opposition that attempts to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm, I'm just so saddened for the churches that don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Because literally they try to fight Satan on their own. They don't understand that the reason Jesus died and ascended was so God would send not just a comforter to comfort, a comforter in battle. A comforter that would come and be the literal power behind our faith. Where is that church? Where is that church? Because I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't even see it in the charismatic movement that, that prides themselves in the power of the Holy Spirit. Where are those who would lay hands on a dead person that rises again? 
And by the way, I'm not saying it doesn't happen because it does, because there are some out there that do. I've seen testimony of one who was raised from the dead. So it's not that it doesn't exist. But guess what? I have not seen it here in America. Shame on us. Shame on us. Why? Because our faith as a church here is dead. It does not have the power of the Holy Spirit. It just has the control of somebody who says they believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? We're not supposed to practice His power. If we are given the gift of tongues, it is a gift. And it is something that the Holy Spirit does. Not that you prepare your mouth. Okay, let me see if I can make up some kind of words that kind of sound good. And just practice it. Just loosen up my mouth. Guess what? If God wants to give you tongues, which by the way, He does. If He wants to, He can loosen up your mouth. I'm pretty sure all of you have mouths loose enough to speak. I'm pretty sure. It's not about that. It's not about feeling like if I practice this enough, one day it's going to happen. How about switch that just a little bit? If I pour my full faith into what he said as truth then I know one day it will happen. See, that's way more accurate. Because it's got nothing to do with us except saying yes to the Lord. That's what a true gift of the Spirit is. It's just saying yes to the Lord. And and by the way, you have to say yes. He's not going to force it on you. And you want to say yes and let Him do it because it's really awkward. I would never want to control that. I would never want to try to control it because the first thing that would be absent from it is the very power that we want to see displayed in it. Honestly, our whole job is to become a vessel that he can use purely. We don't have to learn to do it ourselves. We just have to learn how to recognize sin. We have to learn how to recognize even the little things that get in the way of relationship with him. Just like David said, show me anything that's in the way. Now back that up a second. What's he saying? He's saying, God, I have taken care of the things I recognize. Because there are things that are obvious in our lives. There are things that we know is sin and it's obvious. I don't think I need to preach on that. I would hope not. If you're pursuing relationship with him, let me give you a hint. If there's known sin in your life, that's that's the hurdle you've got to get over first. That's the hurdle right there. But see, the little things in our lives that are sin, that become barriers, 
It may not be an active sin. It may be a lack of faith. It may be a sin of omission, not a sin of commission. It may be something God's wanting you to do and you're not doing because you don't realize it. Maybe you don't have the faith to believe it. Maybe it's way out of your comfort zone. But I could tell you from personal experience, if you ask the Lord to show you the things that are getting in the way of your intimacy with him, guess what? He will. He will. And he won't do it in a mean way. He'll begin to do it in a subtle, loving way. But then you have to act on it. You have to recognize what he's saying. and It will always be by faith. Always. Why? Because Hebrews 11 tells us it's faith is what pleases him. Do you understand that's why we're on this earth now to begin with? It's by faith. When, when the direct was taken away in the Garden of Eden, that relationship at that point became by faith. It had to. Because God could not look at sin. Then when God offered His Son as a bridge to that, He could then look at us through the eyes of His Son when we accept His Son. It's the same with building relationship. The closer you walk with Jesus, you are walking with the Father. I want to go back to verse 9 and 10. Paul said here, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him. Okay. Wow, there's so much to unpack here. I I can't even begin. Have I been preaching for 45 minutes? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I can't even begin. (laughs) But perhaps the Lord will keep us here. But see this mystery that Paul begins to unfold here is the mystery of the church, the mystery of the bride. See, up until this time, you couldn't gain access to God except through his children, which was Israel. The mystery was that God opened it up to everybody. I mean, imagine back then, now, now, Probably more times than not, they didn't care. They had their own gods. They had their own gods that they believed in. But recognize that that when they wanted to believe in the God, the God of creation, their only access was through Israel. And they did have access, and they certainly all had choices. And they could access the Father just like Israel did, and that was through the law. That was to show their need for God. But this mystery, this mystery, this door that that Jesus came when he died, unlocked, he literally went down to to Hades to unlock death, unlock the, the grip that death had on each of us. And he opened a door that none could close. And by the way, that only he 
could open. That, that door stands open now in this mystery called the bride. Whom he wanted to have relationship restored. These are powerful words here in verse 10. To unite all things in him. To unite all things in him. We know that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are all as one. Now, now, by the way, and we won't get into the doctrine of understanding the Trinity. Because it would be like, it's very difficult to do. But know this, they are not all one person. But they are wrapped as one. You know, I've said this before, I see the number three all the time. Especially 33. I see it 20 times a day. All the time. And I'm, I'm Lord, and it's been for years now. And I'll see up to, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen five threes, but I've seen up to four threes. And I mean day, time after time after time, everywhere. And I've asked the Lord, what does this mean? What does this mean? And, and, and there have been times where you say, you're going to know, you're going to know, I'll show you in time, I'll show you in time. And, and I, I feel like I'm getting the first glimpse of what it means. Because recently he's been showing me this idea that is in his word of a three-piece cord. Right? If you take, a, and, and I, wish I wish I had a string here that, that I could show this to you, but if you take a string that you could break, but then you take three, st- three strands of that string and you braid them, interlocking all the way down, and pull on it. It can't break. Pretty amazing. I mean, that's how they make wire. That's how they make these, these heavy, heavy wires, right? So, if you, if you go out, I, I have a... Uh, oh, never mind. Um, so, it is the strength of that when wrapped with others, that even becomes stronger. And that's what he's trying to show his church here. Do you know that each of us is to be wrapped in the Holy Spirit, or through the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Father? Jesus said, if you are in me and I am in you, I am in the Father and he is in me, therefore you are in the Father. Now what happened? He didn't include the Holy Spirit there. If you think about that, is it supposed to be a four-stranded cord? No. No, what I think the three represents is the Father, is Jesus, you, and the motion of the Holy Spirit. See, because the Bible says the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything of himself. He only does what the Father says. And in fact, Jesus, when you talk about his spirit, what is his spirit? His, the spirit of the Christ is the Holy Spirit. You have the literal movement of everything that happens. The oil of everything that happens is the Holy Spirit. And what he's been showing me is the unity between me, Jesus, and the Father is to is supposed to be that three-stranded cord. Now, because of his power, that could be unbreakable. But imagine, imagine, 
When you have that three-stranded cord, that same one that I just explained, in every single person of the bride, and all of them intertwined. Whew. See, Satan couldn't even handle a couple of them. How do you think he would handle the entire bride? But that's what he says here. He says that he's doing this, that he sent his son, that he had this choice to unite all things in him. See, this is something that was there at one time. In the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and all of creation, there was complete unity. Complete unity. And then it was broken. It was given away. Because of sin. So he sent his son to bring that unity back. It can't be done without him. It can't be done without us as individuals being wrapped tightly with Jesus and the Father. But guess what? It can't be done without us being wrapped together with each other either. See, Jesus said the two most important commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second one is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. What he's saying there is as you love with everything that you have, God, you are to love each other as well. Because that horizontal Unity cannot just remain horizontal. It's supposed to be, I'm sorry, vertical. It's supposed to go horizontal as well. That's what his bride is missing. Because, see, we sit in our corners of the universe and live by our little doctrines and identify ourselves by, I go to ABC Church and, and we believe this and that's who I am. God never intended it to be that way. He, he said, your identity is to be in me. Our, our identity is to be in Jesus Christ. We're to be wrapped in him, and that's the mystery. That's the mystery. Why? It's still a mystery, by the way. Why is it still a mystery? Because the church doesn't get it. They don't get it. Now, by the way, we know when that mystery is fulfilled. We know this is coming. We know it is going to happen. And it will happen on this earth. It will happen before the bride is gone, taken in the rapture. How do I know that? Revelation 10, 7. At the calling of the final trumpet, the mystery is complete. The mystery is complete. The very mystery he laid out here that will unite all things. And by the way, recognize that seventh trumpet, which is also the third woe, has nothing, understand, nothing, and I don't say this in a derogatory way, has nothing to do with Israel. In fact, the only thing it has to do with Israel is to make Israel jealous. To make her recognize that she is part of this mystery. 
that she is not supposed to be in and of herself. But Jesus is her Messiah, is her King. So this is what's coming, guys. This is what we're going to be able to look back even just a few years from now and see, Lord, how do you do this so fast? I urge you, I urge you, especially online, if your identity is in your church, it's great to have a local body of church. That's important. God wants that. He loves that. But that's never supposed to be your identity. Your identity is in Christ. Because Christ didn't just say that church is mine, that church is mine, this church is mine. If you've accepted him as Savior, then you are part of the bride and you are his. And that entire bride is to be unified in him. And that's what he will do. Alex, come on up. Wow, what a packed bunch of scripture that we went over this morning. Um, I love Ephesians so much, and it, it shares such depth. And um, one thing that... <coughs> I wanted to point out, though, that um, is, is so mind-blowing about one of the verses that he mentioned is in verse 14 of Ephesians 1. When he talked about the inheritance, there was a, a quick sentence that Greg said that I just want to highlight before we close in prayer. And that is, when he talked about the inheritance itself being sealed to... Uh, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Inheritances are forfeitable. Lest I sound like I'm disagreeing or saying you can lose your salvation. Hold on a second. One sentence he said is, well, really, that's level one. And um, I, who's got a sheet of paper? Perfect. Perfect. I want to just show you this. Thank you. If this is an envelope, okay, and this is your inheritance, okay, so if I give you this inheritance, you have received your inheritance. It will never be undone because it is a completed document of an inheritance that goes directly to you. In that sense, it is guaranteed. But what this encompasses, you have to partake of, engage with, and fully receive to benefit in any way from what all this actually entails, right? So without that, this then would be the equivalent to what we often call our ticket to heaven. If we have our ticket, nobody can take your ticket. Your, that is sealed. But the all spiritual blessings, and even the verse that we gave to the women's class this morning, Second uh, Corinthians nine eight, um, the all having all sufficiency because of His grace to do all things, that is something that when you don't step, you don't have 
all that he offers you and you don't benefit from it and believe for it and that does affect what your heavenly experience is like so that's just something to unpack and and do a deep dive in because until we understand even what paul said in philippians 2 work out your salvation the salvation that you have the part of you that's sealed now work to the outside work to the manifest of what is inside work that out he's not saying work for your salvation he's saying now that you're sealed take that and begin to manifest that by faith in your belief and in the fruits and the works that that the lord has given and he's responsible it's a partnership it's not a now begin to work and show people you're saved but it's the fruit of the spirit is something that does manifest because you're saved when you're walking with him and that's just such an important distinction because one of the things that i noticed is a contrast and i think the lord allowed me to feel it this morning because i thought wow these verses are so exciting there's so much there and yet there can be kind of a really I don't really get it. I don't I don't know. I mean like I I know I'm supposed to be excited, I know I'm supposed to be passionate, but I'm just kind of not there. And there is sometimes a time when we we go to the Lord and we say what what I've quoted so many times, um Psalm 37:4, when you delight in him by seeking him, he will then give you the very desire. If you don't have a passion and a fire and a desire to get excited about what is exciting ask the lord remember without when there's not that passion there there is dysfunction human bodies when we're born were designed to consume food to live right that's how we were made we had to we had to consume food when there is an inability or a lack of desire to eat the newborn is born and they don't want to eat there's something wrong you got to go to the source creator and say something's wrong why does my child not want to eat so ask the lord go to him and ask him to to light the fire within you i know what it's like especially growing up in in the fact that the doctrines were so highly esteemed above relationship they are important but not apart not not as precepts separate from relationship with god and i remember just feeling this heaviness of just yeah you know and it wasn't until it became experientially personal that it became just now there is you know and i told you before i joked that i i do kiss my bible sometimes i just there's there's verses that are so precious to me that i just just the page and it's not about the page it's not about the tangible it's a, it's just this expression of that is awesome that is the holy spirit just that's just my expression i when when i can see jesus face to face of course i'm going to hug him kiss him and 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 kiss his feet and and be so grateful but now i have the word and sometimes i'm just compelled to do that and that's just my own little weird insight into what my secret place time looks like but um but it is it's something that has to be ignited it's not it's not just well yeah well you're passionate or well you're an extrovert i'm an introvert or you're this no ask the holy spirit to light a desire within you to give you to give you a disdain for things that grieve and quench the spirit and give you a joy and a delight and a passion for the things that he is excited about it's that's what being in sync with his heart is so sometimes christians can be so burdened why first of all am i not a good christian but 
why do I not want to be a good Christian? That's a scary thought. People that, that carry that, like, what, what's wrong with me? I know I'm saved. And I don't, I don't want to. There is something there. When you, when you want something and yet you, you can't want it more, go to the Lord. It may be the breaking of strongholds, but I'm telling you, when you seek him, he is found. When you seek him with all your heart, he is found. And he will light that. And he is our partner. We then, we give him our yes, but then he puts within us that fire. And we sing about that here. A lot of churches sing, you know, light a fire and, and all-consuming fire and different verses about fire or uh, worship songs about fire. But, but it's, it's very important, and that applies to everything. All the ways that he wants your salvation worked out of your life, uh, give that to him. Ask him, say, give me a desire to want to do this more, this sin of omission that I'm not doing, and, and help me to stop these, these compulsions that I'm doing that I don't want to do, Lord. I, I don't want to have to come to you for the 27th time today about this. I want to stop doing this. And he will give you the fruit of, one of the fruits of the Spirit is temperance. It's self-control. I don't know about you, but I have no self-self-control. But when the Lord places it within me, I'm telling you, I don't care how delectable the food, how tempting the whatever, you, you name it, all the different sins of our carnal flesh. When the Holy Spirit is in charge of my desires, it's like, I don't want it. Because if that thing, if that thing becomes a barrier, if that thing is going to be used by the enemy to beat me up, attack my identity, and hinder my prayer life, don't want it. I don't want it. And that's understanding the goodness of God. So there's so much in Ephesians that I encourage you to, to again, go deeper. It could be a series for a year at least. But, but even what he unpacked today is so great. And I'm just so thankful. Let's pray. Father God, we just worship you, God. We thank you. I thank you for this amazing mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have just invited us into because of the cross. And then then through this inheritance, we can be divine partaker, partakers rather of the divine nature, God, because of you. I, I'm just so amazed. There are just so many scriptures that flood my mind about how we build this amazing relationship with you. It is such a privilege. And I thank God, I, I thank you for the songs, even the songs of old, the one that you've given me over and over, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, I pray that over everyone here today, everyone listening online and will be listening on the podcast. God, I pray that you would ignite that fire, that desire, that passion. Not just the cooperation, not just the compliance, but the absolute hunger that, that we would give our very lives for what it means to be in relationship and fellowship with you that nothing can come against it. Father, only you can place that within us. But you are worthy of it. God, you are worthy to be honored, to be worshipped, to be obeyed, to be, to be in friendship with. You are worthy of all that we are, not just most of it. God, we don't want to be Sunday morning Christians. 
We want to be walking with you step by step because there are perilous days upon us right now. And God, we need you. It is so true. Apart from you, we can do nothing, God. We need you. Father, just release your Holy Spirit in greater measure, God. Let us make room for a greater takeover and possession and really habitation of you in us. That that inheritance that you've given will be fully realized beyond the sealed level one. God, we love you so much. And I just pray that none of the words that you have spoken this morning would fall to the ground. Because we know that your words don't return void. So I praise you. I give you all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.